And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, as well as the HubSpot Podcast Network, which has other great podcasts like Socialite, hosted by Steph Taylor. Socialite discusses all things online marketing. Steph Taylor answers all your business marketing questions. She deep dives into the nitty gritty of online marketing, uh, content marketing, social media marketing, marketing strategy for business owners. If any of these topics resonate with you, you're going to love the show. You'll learn things like how to scale your brand on various uh, different social media platforms, some of the biggest mistakes you can make with your launch of a new product or service, uh, the importance of nurturing and engaging your audience consistently, uh, the importance of having your audience fully understand the problem you're trying to solve and why it's important to solve right now, as well as why growing audiences across all social platforms feels so hard in 2022. You can go listen to Socialite wherever you get your podcast or at the HubSpot Podcast Network at hubspot.com slash podcast network. Today, my guest is Jose Munoz. He is the co-founder and managing director of WonderMed, a health tech company empowering the inner healing of people through psychedelic medicine, starting with low-dose oral ketamine. Jose combines his international experience in business and entrepreneurship to develop business models that generate positive impact, previously building self-sustained desalination plants in underdeveloped countries throughout the world. He has shifted his focus to healing mental health disorders with the help of psychedelic medicine. Raising $5.6 million to date in their seed round, he is determined to push the boundaries of our imagination to make long-lasting change in the world. Now, we spoke about his company, the structure, the history, the mission, the vision. We spoke about ketamine, how it works in the brain and the power it holds to gaining new perspectives on treating mental health disorders. We spoke about how people can actually start using it to heal, what the process looks like, the positive impact that WonderMed is trying to bring to the world at large, uh, the boundaries and limits of our understanding as human beings in terms of uh, treatment and mental health and well-being. We spoke about the meaning of life. We spoke about how to find purpose in living. We spoke about the potential of psychedelic medicine to revolutionize society at large. No, 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 it's a fair assumption. Um, I think positive impact will be the common denominator between everything that I've been doing since a very young age. Um, I think I've mentioned this before. Probably I was 12 when I started on my birthdays, deciding that I wanted to conglomerate value from people. So instead of making a birthday list of things that I wanted, I started making a birthday list of things that people needed. 
-hmm. So I would use the chance that people were just giving me things for the fact that I had just gone one more round around the sun um, and utilize that in given hospitals. So for example, a lot of the times so what I did was soccer balls. Yeah. One year I collected 50 soccer balls and just started spreading them through a hospital network. And that's, so that was that, that's amazing. Yeah, I was no, very I wanted presents as a kid. Hey, fair enough. No, no, um, no. That's good. So you from a young age, this is what you were doing? Yeah, shout out to my mother. I think yeah. she's the one that started inflicting that value that we can make good even in the small decisions. And I think that just sticked with me. Um I've always been passionate about seeing the world from the big picture and understanding that if anything, we're just one more factor as as humans in the whole ecosystem of life. And I think it started clicking when I was in New York, going on the subway, I was going to school and realizing that the amount of people that I was crossing by every single day that were making very similar interactions with life that I was, that it had something of value that nobody was capturing. So I started getting very, very curious about how to conglomerate human power to generate positive impact. And so what I did was I started studying socioeconomic development. I found, like a lot of people know, money becomes the function of movement, of development in society. And I wanted to understand where it came from, the structure to which it was being produced, used, stored. And I started to study things such as uh, Pills Law, uh, the bank chart that I started in 1844 in England, and realized that the structure of the financial markets and economies was a set of structure that was being tested a very long time ago. And it has had not that much of a change. And so when I started reading uh, white papers, like the Ethereum white paper or the Bitcoin white paper and cryptocurrency systems, I realized that they were discussing topics that were for the longest time considered the only reality of economic systems. We're talking about basic things such as reserve ratios in socioeconomic models and how much reserve do you need to be able to print additional value. And so that just got me excited of realizing that there could be a new model that we could build where people could but interact. in all areas of life, not just... All areas yeah. of life. Um, and so I started promoting technology. I wanted people to feel passionate about doing good. I looked at the nonprofit industry and realized that there's something integral that is missing on it. And that is the fact that when you're producing value, you're giving value, you want to get something in return. It doesn't necessarily have to be economic value, but something. And then the nonprofit industry, I think, lacks um, from a fundamental standpoint how it is being seen and worked until today, lacks that. Um, you give money, you don't see it again, but you really don't see anything else except that transaction that you did in the past. Then when you go into positive impact investing, something an area that I really, really enjoyed, there was a very big opportunity cost constantly being decided between capital gain or positive impact. And I saw that as an um, unrealistic expectation in terms of comparing every single decision-making between those two factors. And so I started to develop something quite in the middle where you could be part of a larger circle, a larger socioeconomic movement in which your interactions didn't necessarily mean higher revenue. Your expectation wasn't to generate additional capital, but some would get back to you in addition to a positive impact. And so one of the first things, and currently still in the air, is a desalination plant to provide water from the ocean to people that don't have water in coastal places where um, scalability of water is very difficult. Um, wells don't work well when you're talking already in the sizes of 3,000 to 5,000 families. And so um, I just like to start sticking things together. 
I went to the best technology out of the Netherlands, Elemental Water Makers, put things together, and I started to generalize this idea that if you want to belong to a larger community that everybody from the world can belong to in an equal way and be part of a positive impact movement, you can. You can actually generate value from it. Um, What's the reception to that? So now I think that positive impact investing is actually very, very in vogue. I think that's something that people really care about. I think it's not the growth at all costs. And I actually think that when people look at companies that do good, um, there's a lot of underlying factors that, and they can make substantial returns as well. And the growth at all costs mindset actually is, is starting to really fall out of favor. Mm-hmm. Um, not completely, but I mean, to to many investors, it's very important. Um, when, like, time frame. So when was when were you doing this? Because I want to understand... Uh, How the, I sort of like this, the, the sentiment of yeah we, eventually but the sentiment towards what you were doing so when you first were trying to do good you were looking for investment or, mm-hmm. or what was the what was the market's reaction to what you were building um went into a competition of startups in the amazon offices in new york um won by a, a surprisingly large storm given that i needed to have an mvp product in the digital space already created and i didn't have it didn't have that type of technological yeah. knowledge to be able to make it happen um, but I had a story. I had the idea um, very well thought out. Um, and I remember the crowd standing up and applauding to the concept. And I think that that really just made me realize it's not going to be easy. Investors are not going to be receptive at first or of an idea like this. But what I just experienced of a reaction from a crowd is exactly what I'm looking for. It's the type of value that I want to be represented in a system that hasn't been created yet. So I started going for VCs. And sentences like, hey, I'm more interested in positive impact than making money. It's not something you should say in front of an investor. <laughs> no, not so, usually. I mean, it's not a bad thing to say, but I also know I know investors. Exactly. It's, it's a, a tough, tough one. one. So that made me learn pretty quickly uh, that positive impact is still needed to embrace itself more in the mindset of, of traditional investments or VC. And so that just made me realize that a lot of it was going to be coming directly from people, the concept of crowdfunding, the concept of being able to generate one plus one equals three if it comes mm-hmm. from multitude. Um, and I was actually in the middle of, of building this when I got to meet Ryan Magnuson, the co-founder of, of Wonder Sciences and WonderMed. And he really put everything together. At the time I was studying astrophysics, I was doing a thesis in trying to understand the boundaries and limitations of the observer, aka ourselves as humans, in understanding what reality was, what the concept of the universe was. And I started to find very interesting statistics. Like, for example, humans can only perceive 0.0035% of the electromagnetic spectrum of light. Again, 0.0035%. What does that mean? Break that down for what that means for the... Let's see. Um, Let's put it from an economical standpoint. I'm going to give you a million dollars from which... Oh, no, no, I understand the the minute ratio that we can see. I actually meant, but like, if somebody is like, what does that actually mean for what I can see? Well, the way in which we see reality, everything around us right now, colors, shapes, it all comes because of the reception that we have from a visual standpoint of the electromagnetic wavelength that is all around us. That electromagnetic wavelength uh, has a spectrum. Let's consider a spectrum of 0 to 100, in which you can only perceive... 0.0035%. 0.0035%. Which is an insanely small number. It's insanely small. So what we consider the objectical reality, it's a very limited one. All around us right now, there is an incredible amount of light wavelength that we are not even able to perceive. And so that made me just trickle the idea of why when we look out in the universe, we try to create mathematical 
equations to understand what it is without really first understanding how limited we are in understanding the current reality that we have. And so I started correlating scales of astrophysics and quantum physics and found very similar boundaries in the scales of when our current mathematics and uh, physics models stopped working. Um, and that just made me feel very small. It made me feel very special. It made me realize of the true power that life is, the uncertainty of it, and you know how valuable we are to be here today in the same Almost like of the time. naiveness of humans. Absolutely. And once again, I got reinforced the idea that the only purpose that we have here is to try to make the best of it. It's almost as if traditional concepts such as heaven are the present and we just have to build it. And this is also where the, the fight between light and darkness in society comes underneath the framework of psychedelic medicine. It is the idea that as a society, we need to change fast and we need to change now for us to change the direction in which the world is going. I think people are realizing of the true detriment of the impact that society has been having in the way that we've been living for now centuries. But now more than ever, we're actually being able to quantify that detrimental factors. We're actually being able to understand and visualize that this is not just something happening in my small town or my city or my country. It's actually happening worldwide. And people are starting to suffer from a great big picture perspective. And so when he came to me and he told me that he was trying to elevate the consciousness of the planet, he wanted to start allowing people to change their perspective and doing so through technology. Technology being psychedelic medicine, I think that's the best way to describe it. Some people might describe it as a product, some people might describe it as a service. I think that the most pragmatic way of looking at it is technology. Um, one plus one equal two for me. And I decided to move to LA from New York and I started building the company with him. And what, so, so that's an incredible, it's an incredible reason to want to go into a certain business and a certain, a certain thing that you're trying to do. So you, I see the progression. You're, you're trying to really, you're trying to make life better for people. You realize that how people don't really have a good grasp on what life even is. Mm -hmm. And this is the mechanism that will hopefully allow you and the team to do this. Um, now, when you look at, when you look at, psychedelics let's first talk about why because psychedelics are not new mm -hmm. so let's break down like why are psychedelics trending now what has the history of psychedelics been um because i also want to understand that if these are again to play devil's advocate such a great benefit to society and it will allow us to see things and 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 look at life through a different lens and think differently and and think bigger why have you know why has government more or less shut these down for significant period of time? And then also, what's different in 2022? That's a great question. And it actually, to answer, it goes far beyond psychedelic medicine or medicine as a whole. We're talking about social behavior, the way in which the world behaves. And every single actor in this play, which is us as individuals, are being able to make a voice or an impact. I think when psychedelic medicine initially got out into the world, it was a very difficult time for society, especially in the United States through the Nixon years. Um, war on drugs was um, voting power. I think there was a lot of detrimental factors that come with drugs. And unfortunately, psychedelic medicine got introduced into the same bucket, primarily because it was making a large portion of society that was going through these experiences think differently. I think governments since the inception of time, have wanted us to behave like sheeps, 
to feel structure and gain that structure through lack of understanding, lack of transparency of information. And psychedelic medicine does exactly that, not in the large scale, in large scale alone of society, but to yourself. It allows you to think differently, to behave differently, to see the reality in a, with a different lens. And governments don't want that to happen. What has changed now? The age of information. I think truth is much harder to be hidden today than it was 100 years from now, than it was 1,000 years from now. And it will be harder to be hidden in the next 100 years. And I don't know, the same way that I turn myself into it, I'm a very data-driven person. Mm -hmm. I think anybody else that wants to understand really the power that psychedelic medicine has through clinical trials, you can just look at the data and the results that have been happening, comparing them to anything else that has been utilized for the same purpose is showcasing incredible results. And so there's really a hard way to look at this and realize, okay, this is something we should have stopped. The other way around, it's actually turning very intelligent uh, minds the other way and thinking, okay, this is something we should actually explore further. And I'm talking about neuroscientists, astrophysicists, biologists, um, business savvy individuals, really from every aspect of the world of, of life are coming into a psychedelic world with an eye of exploration. And I think that that's something that, you know, in the past we didn't have the opportunity to bring in such a large scale. And and to follow up on that, why do you think that psychedelics, because you made a career choice, you made a conscious career choice. I mean, the the the, the guy who you named before, gentleman before, what was Ryan it? Magnuson. So explain his role. What was, is he the original He's the main founder. founder. Yeah, he's okay. the one. He's the Has one he that... been involved in psychedelics for a long period of time, or is this? Through his personal life, yeah. psychedelics change his life. And that's something that he talks a lot about. That's why he was passionate about That's this. why he okay. was passionate. I mean, okay. I think he's always been an individual. He started pioneering the internet in the early 19, um, early 2000s and built a very large conglomerate that then, um, in my opinion, shaped what the internet is today. We're talking about uh, a company that was doing digital advertisement when websites were created for the first time. And his type of mind was always surrounding innovation. And he got to a point in his life where he started to decide what else is there? What's the actual purpose? And I think that um, psychedelic medicine really provides you that type of perspective in a very quick manner, in a very rapid way. It's almost a catalyst of your own perspective. That's actually a question I was gonna ask because if you're thinking about how do I how do I make life better mm -hmm. for everyone on, the, on earth, yep. um, it's interesting that you chose psychedelics versus, for example, fixing education systems or something like that. Right. So is, is the reason because it's such a, an immediate, quick, if you expose somebody to psychedelics and you feel like their life can be instantly improved, is that the reason why you wanted to double down on this versus anything else that could elevate the consciousness of, of yeah. humanity? I actually love the example you gave, uh, education. I think psychedelic medicine is the most fascinating form of education for somebody that allows a structural change to happen in one's mind. I think education starts when you're a baby. The first neurological connection you make, whether it's mom, whether it's dad, whether it's water because you need it, you start learning and adapting how to behave as a species in this world based on social constructs, whether it's language, whether it's norms that start building who you are as a character. And for the longest time, we are all kind of living in the present moment. If you think of this, of life as a book, we're in the present page you're reading it, and sometimes you have the ability to go back and think of memories or think of ways in which you currently have landed in this present page. 
Psychedelic medicine allows you to open that book and be able to navigate as a catalog in a lot of times your life. Allow to see the big picture of the book, the beginning, the end, and see how you want to continue shaping it. So it's the most profound form of education that somebody can have that allows them to really have their own eyes as to what life is. And is and what's so different between um, psychedelics versus um, if you like if you meditate and if you ha focus on extreme self awareness and and is there is there is there is there things that you can take from like other practices that are could be similar Absolutely. to to what you unlock when you take psychedelics? So Absolutely. I've actually, so I've never done any psychedelics. I mean, yeah, sure, drink, smoke, like just like recreational shit, but never like ketamine. I know a lot of people that microdose LSD is a very popular thing now as mm -hmm. well. So like walk me through what happens when you first take any, and I'm sure there's a, a, a whole bunch of different types of reactions to different Absolutely. types of substances. It's completely so, personal. So like if somebody is somebody, ayahuasca, I've never done, but I've heard a lot of people speak about that. Mm -hmm. Crazy shit. So if somebody's listening to this and they've never touched psychedelics in their life, like what is do like a 101 on what to expect like i bet they pro i bet it's it's almost hard to conceptualize how you can think differently than how you think right now like totally. it doesn't make sense because your life and learned experiences indicate how you think mm -hmm. and yeah there's times when you maybe you know if you if you're in a great state and you're calm and you're relaxed you're not stressed out maybe you think a little bit clearer but for somebody to think differently or to think in you know in 3D versus <laughs> on a single yeah. level it's it's an incredible thought, but it's hard to comprehend and wrap your mind around. Absolutely. I mean, I think everybody's is different as an experience. When I personally think of psychedelic medicine, the idea that comes to my mind the most is the idea of perspective. There is an exercise that I usually do with people, which is to place a finger in front of their face and look at something in the opposite side of the room, and then to close one eye and then close the other one and feel how the finger doesn't move, the thing that you're looking in the background doesn't move, you're only changing the perspective of one eye over the other, and the whole reality really shifts its mm -hmm. own look. That small difference is really what you can feel in a psychedelic experience. I think there's a lot of physical components to it as well, that it's what makes it an enjoyable in some cases, and in some cases a hard experience. Um, but at the end of the day, it's that second look that you can take from a different angle. It's almost a bird eye view of your life. In the case of ketamine, for example, a lot of people represent it as a step back. The ability of being able to look at your life or to look at what's currently happening, all the problems that you might have um, from an observer standpoint. We were talking before about the limitation of the observer. Like, almost like an out-of-body experience to an extent. Exactly. Um, common traits of people that do psychedelic medicine is really shifting the concept of me, me, me to we, we, we. It really makes you feel that you belong to something greater, that you belong to something that it's hard to understand, it's hard to explain, but it's something that goes beyond what you've been taught for the longest time that, that reality is, that life is. And I think that um, we just need to be listeners of those experiences. We need to be observers, and then we need to try to adapt. And that, to your point, to your question before, comes the aspect of not seeing psychedelic medicine as the only route to get here. Psychedelic medicine, in my opinion, is a mere catalyst. People are able to achieve this type of perspective or way of thinking without the necessity of these substances. You mentioned meditation, breathwork, um, exercise. I personally got to experience this out-of-body 
type of experiences or perspectives by analyzing the gravitational movement of the moon around the Earth. Just by staring at the moon for two hours after studying um, gravitational theory, be able to disconnect for a second and perceive the, the world around me in a different way. Um, others do it by doing extreme sports or taking their bodies to the limit. I think that there's multiple ways in which you can actually gain this perspective. And the beautiful thing about psychedelics is that not everybody has the um, willpower or their life allows them to focus so much and so much effort into getting there without any form of help. It's true. Um, life is stressful. Very life is stressful. Busy, noisy, yeah. Very noisy. I think a lot of people, more than we want to talk about, are suffering from mental health and they're suffering it quietly. One of the main reasons could be because people are not aware they're suffering from mental health. One in every four Americans are suffering from a diagnosable mental health disorder in a single given year. Um, more and more now that I'm in the mental health space, I keep hearing people open up to myself in one-on-one -on -one conversations around what depression really means and how they're going through it. And it is truly different for a lot of people. And that's also the beautiful thing of, of what we do and what WonderMed is doing right now is that we're providing a medicine to a solution that seems very common to everybody, anxiety, depression, but that is actually very unique. Everybody feels anxiety and depression incredibly differently. And so the changes that you see and that we're seeing in our patients is really what fascinates me. So if everybody experiences everything differently, then how do you have a solution to help anybody? And then also if everybody experiences anxiety and depression differently, how could how could anything ever be like federally approved? Because I'm sure that you know, if somebody somebody has you know if somebody has um, anxiety, depression, or, or a lot of demons inside, and they and they go to ayahuasca, yep. and you'll have somebody who can sort of guide them through that. But there's so many different outcomes, and obviously it's good, bad, and it's very different for every single person because the problems they're dealing with are very different. The traumas are dealing with. If you try and tap into those traumas, with I guess the traditional way that you would tap into those would be like a therapist or something like that, who somebody who has a knowledge to guide you through. If you're just giving somebody a substance and saying, I'm gonna let the substance do the work, but we're gonna have the substance for a wide variety of different traumas, how do you know that the outcome is gonna be positive or negative or healthy or unhealthy? Great question. I think to answer it, we need to look at it from two different standpoints. One is what I mentioned before, that the medicine alone doesn't do the trick. The medicine allows you the opportunity for that catalyst. Maybe back change. up and just like so what's the what's the what's the therapy like? So let's say like somebody is actually looking to and then we can sort of understand more about how it totally. works. Let's focus then on what's currently being available for people. Yeah. Something that has been available for the past 50 years, but it's currently being accessible through companies like WonderMed. If you're somebody suffering from mental health, uh, currently the psychiatry industry uh, utilizes very subjective standardization surveys to understand whether or not somebody is suffering from a mental health diagnosis and therefore gets diagnosed for a disorder. Um, Right now, the way in which WonderMed allows somebody to be able to experience this alternative form of treatment is by them um, going to a digital platform where they get diagnosed, they get asked about their health history. They're able to have a one-on-one -on -one consultation with a clinician that understands and gets to know the reasons why somebody's seeking this type of alternative form of medicine and then allows them to be able to, in the comfort of their home, receive a medication package that gets them into a meditative state it's really one of the main powers of ketamine, and in the case of low dose, allows you in a safe environment to get into an experience of about an hour, an hour and 15 minutes. Um, that in our case, currently standardization is one time per week. 
that allows you to gain this perspective, allows you to look inside yourself. Um, and in our case, we call it empower your inner healer. Um, for the longest time, and I think to backtrack a little bit, mental health has been seen as a chemical imbalance issue in the brain. So we started to devise different medications such as SSRIs or benzodiazepines that is target, targeting these problems from that angle. SSRIs started to regulate serotonin levels in the synaptic cleft, which is the area in between neurons that regulated mood. And we thought that there was a direct correlation and causality between increases of serotonin level and decreases in depression that is actually seen to not be true. In the case of benzodiazepines, benzos, um, medications like Xanax that people are familiar with, they target the central neural system in the back of your head and it inhibits it. So it essentially it does inhibit anxiety, but it inhibits the whole body. And that's why you get this type of feeling of zombie-like state. These medications have been used on a regular basis, sometimes on a daily basis for decades. And there's a lot of people that are currently are probably hearing this and they're currently taking them. It's not that they're incredibly detrimental. It's just that the efficacy rates from which the different clinical trials have been proven uh, to show it's not that high. And so I feel that the whole industry had this shift of, of paradigm that didn't just see mental health as a chemical imbalance in your brain, but it was actually more of a mind-body-spirit relation. It is the aspect that your brain has the capability to make a structural changes. That's where ketamine comes into play. Ketamine targets the glutamate neurotransmitter network, which is the most common and potent neurotransmitter network in the brain, and it empowers it. So instead of inhibiting, it actually generates new neurological connections. It is this concept of neuroplasticity. Our brain is one of the most, if not the most, um, beautiful, complex, and interesting muscles that we have in the body. It allows you to change how you see everything, the world, how you interact with it, your sensory levels, your perception of the world. And to think that that has been built through time, when you're a kid, this idea that you can learn a lot, you're a fast learner when you're a kid, you adapt a lot, kind of gets lost as you grow. I find it to be a very sad reality for a lot of people. And if psychedelic medicine has the opportunity to sprung that back through the idea of increased neuroplasticity, I think people are inherently gonna be thinking differently. Um, it's that a small change that might allow you to change a thought loop that might be generating anxiety or depression about the problem, the finger that we talked about before, and be able to see the actual reality behind the finger very differently. Right, and I want to I want to understand further about how this actual protocol works. Um, before we go into that, for neuroplasticity, if you're saying that this ketamine improves neuroplasticity, that is the requirement of learning like a new thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like neuroplasticity. So, in theory, could this be used to like fast track the learning of a new skill as well? Because whenever you do something, one for like, can say so absolutely. Because if you do something, I mean, this is probably like the off-label, <laughs> the off-label off use. But I mean, if you think about neuroplasticity, if you plasticity, if you uh, if you do something ten thousand times, that is what you're increasing for that particular thing. Absolutely, the skill that we're working with is happiness here. Yeah, that's the skill that we're allowing people to really work on, and happiness is incredibly subjective. It is the idea that you can change habits, skills, ways of behaving ways of thinking. There's a lot of people that think in a very negative way. I myself have a lot of um, people I know that, you know, the, the concept of being inherently pessimistic. Yeah. Somebody that just looks at the world and if it's a rainy day, they automatically, their whole day is going to go from that type yeah. of pessimistic outlook. That's all in your mind. Of course. Really a powerful tool to start thinking positively 
and getting your brain to kind of do it without thinking. Um, that's a habit that psychedelic medicine can help you. Any form of habit that you want to change, you're actually in this neuroplastic window state, allow you to learn much faster. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Manscaped. Now, Manscaped is the leader in below-the-belt grooming. And because you're listening today to Success Story, you're going to get 20% off plus free shipping with the code 20success at manscaped.com. But let me give you a little rundown of why Manscaped is so awesome and what you're going to be getting. So you're getting the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. It has everything you need to prepare that summer body. In the package, you're going to have the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, you're going to have the Crop Reviver Toner. You're going to have the Crop Preserver, which is under the belt deodorant. You're going to have performance boxer briefs, and you're going to have a travel bag to hold all of it. Now, their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, that is the thing they're known for. It features a cutting edge ceramic blade. This reduces grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. They have a 7,000 RPM motor a new multifunction on-off switch. Uh, they can engage a travel lock. They have an LED light on that. You can take it anywhere because it's all waterproof. So beach, lake, shower, the razor goes anywhere. So if you want 20% off, that's 20% off plus free shipping on the performance package. You're gonna go to manscaped.com, use the code 20success. Remember that is 20% off plus free shipping, the performance package, all the stuff I just mentioned, Go to manscaped.com and use the code 20SUCCESS. You have to figure out a way to exercise that particular habit while you're Absolutely. in that window. I mean, like when I even think about like this neuroplastic state, it could be anything from like playing the piano to learning a language to all of this is, is required to have like some sort of, if you had a way of fast track, the pathways that are built while you're learning that particular thing, that could be an incredible, almost like a, like I don't think ketamine is actually considered a nootropic, mm -hmm. but I mean, the function is there. From a human optimization yes. standpoint, absolutely. Correct. I think, um, I mean, our, our company itself, even from a cap table perspective, people like Aubrey Marcus being one of our main investors and this concept of utilizing the medicine um, to become the best version of yourself, yeah. hence looking at things such as mental health, is one of the main reasons why we do what we do. Um, Very cool. Learning is repetition. It has different components, but repetition is one of the key aspects of it. So in psychedelic medicine, I really want to reiterate this because it's a very important factor that we strongly believe in the company and the industry as a whole. Psychedelics, again, do not do the trick alone. So there is important aspects such as intention setting. Actually understanding from a therapeutic standpoint, why am I going to go into a psychedelic experience? Why am I actually taking treatment? Instead of taking just a daily pill, mm -hmm. the pharmaceutical industry has been teaching us for a long time, why am I actually going to try to take a deep look at myself and be able to change the way I think? And that intention is actually what allows you to have a much more effective treatment. And then most importantly, to your point, is the aspect of integration. Mm -hmm. Really is the key to prosperity and long-term change. It is the idea that whatever experience you go through, whether it's positive or negative, you need to learn, adapt, and generate insights from. And that is really the powerful aspect that psychedelics medicines bring, is the key to open the door to a successful integration or to a breakthrough integration effort. So if you, okay, so now you're in this state for an hour, an hour and a half every single week. So what's the actual protocol that somebody would go through once once they take ketamine? In our case, we believe that life is very hectic, that people need the opportunity to heal in the comfort of their day-to-day -day life. And that for us becomes the comfort of your home. It becomes 
um, the idea that we want to to empower yourself to be able to make the change that you need. So in our case, the protocol initiates by doing a thought-provoking exercise of intention setting, by asking yourself questions and journaling about why is it that you're going to go into a psychedelic experience, as I mentioned before. Um, the idea of generating breathwork exercises for you to be able to go into this calm state. And then while you're on the experience, letting your brain discover and explore these different type of questions that you've put out to yourself. I think scientists know this a lot because it has happened and multiple, let's just call it discovers, have happened right before or during a sleep when people go to sleep thinking of a problem or thinking of an issue and sometimes wake up with a solution. Writers, for example, wake up with a sentence that they would like to put in their next lyric. And that itself is the power of the brain of allowing yourself to go into a meditative state or a state in which the frequency in which your different areas of the brain communicate come up with a certain conclusion. That is really the aspect of the journey itself of one hour and 15 minutes. It's a deep dive meditation experience in which you have the ability to explore different concepts at a, at a speed and in a way that is quite unique. Um, and then afterwards, you then need to try to dissect these type of insights, things that you've been able to see, to, to think about, and try to apply them to your day-to-day. Almost like getting perspective to then cherry pick what are the different insights that you would like to put forward in your life. And can you and and when you're in this state, because it would be hard to understand what this is like unless you're you've actually done it. When you're in this state, you're 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 lucid, like you're aware, like, and you yeah. can and you can choose what you want to focus on. There's a lot of things that it's not like because I've heard with like ayahuasca, like you, you don't actually choose, a hundred percent of the time what you're able to focus on. Absolutely. Um, in the case of ketamine, and the difference with many other psychedelic substances is that you do have, in a much more direct capacity, control over the experience. Especially in the low dosages that Wondermed as a company is doing in the industry, really as one of the very few, if not the only one, a large scale, that it's currently doing lower to do- medium dose um, of ketamine, you're very much aware. You do have and feel some form of the sedative component of ketamine being an anesthetic, how it originated as a substance. Um, but because you are in a sub-anesthetic level of dosing, you actually go into the experience having control over the thoughts. It's true that what we've built is the idea of you being able to go into a music journey that curates the experience, and you very much see how your thoughts and experience navigates based on the music. So it's not that you necessarily have the pure pure control over every single thought, but you're very much aware. I mean, even in even when we're completely like when we're sitting here, you don't have 100% control over thoughts anyway. So absolutely, yeah. So um, it's a very powerful um, and unique opportunity for people that have never tried something like this, that have been taking traditional forms of medication, and things haven't changed the way they thought they would, or things have not progressed, and they have the feeling of feeling stuck. It really brings them an opportunity to test a psychedelic experience. In this case, coming from ketamine as a substance. Um, where they can feel control, they can feel safe, and yet be able to feel something quite unique. Okay, so um, what is the what is the uh, like the actual results of using ketamine? So I'm cu- I want to actually go into the business of building a company like this as well because it's very interesting. You've completely pivoted mm-hmm. industries like you did like a complete one eighty, um, <laughs> which is like it's also like it's also like an incredible story. Like as a CEO, for you to be able to do that too, it's not always easy to go into a brand new industry you've never worked in raise a whole bunch of money, build a company and build it successfully. And I know it's still like, it's 
early-ish, but you've done quite well. So I want to figure out like the business of building a, a ketamine company. But yeah, totally. But the 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 results. Okay, so let's actually like I want to sort of highlight what this does for people. What are the results that you've seen of people that actually take this? Ketamine clinics are now all over the U.S. I mm -hmm. think, and yep. that is probably one of the more popular and probably only legal, if I'm not mistaken. Currently, um, in the utilization of it for mental health. Yeah utilization of it on an off-label use by clinicians is out of the main substances yeah. that you can consider from psilocybin LSD. Um, it is. Um, it is very new. It's an exploding industry. It's a blue ocean market. Um, how new is this? How, how new is this? That's the really special aspect. Um, ketamine has been utilized for the past five decades. Yeah, you mentioned that, like 50 years almost. Yeah, um, and it's a substance that has been utilized on the ER setting as an anesthetic uh, because it had incredibly safe profiles for utilization on large dosing on anesthetic. Yeah. Um, and then um, doctors such as, for example, Dr. John Crystal out of uni Yale University started to understand and discover the different antidepressive effects that ketamine as a substance had. Um, so in terms of it being new as a substance has been available for a long time but it is starting to be accessible for people in this new off-label use. Um, one of the main aspects of this that has allowed it is technology and telemedicine platforms that have been able to go into states in which uh, a statistical um, analysis has been done in terms of the resources for mental health that people have. And in some states, you have one therapist for every 4,000 people. So wow. it's a, a very interesting way of looking at this as an opportunity that never existed before. From how big the demand is, um, is incredibly large. And I think that as a company, something that I want to reiterate is this is very noble. A lot of people are catching into it, but we need to do this in a very responsible way. And I think there's only a handful of companies that are really taking the hard look at the science and wanting to do this from a research standpoint in generalization of data and the true understanding of what this medicine is ha uh, doing for people. Okay. Like I'm assuming when there's financial opportunity, there's people that may not follow all the rules and I agree. you know dot the i's and cross the t's and you just actually mentioned before we started recording now there's a ketamine task force that is going out and looking at some of these companies what are the what are the potential negatives like what what could the abuse um like with any other form of medication um the maluse of it the idea that people might start using it or clinics start just dispensing it without the appropriate um efforts and the appropriate reasoning behind it um but you, you mentioned something about effectiveness and what have we been seeing yeah, so far in patients. Yeah, the positive from it, yeah. So let me, I'm going to explain this in two ways. One is through a statistical explanation of what we've been seeing so far in data. And two is the actual impact that we're making in the world. From a statistical standpoint, patients that have gone through WonderMed and have done one month treatment, 95% of them have showcased an average reduction in their levels of anxiety and depression of 42%. And that is in 95%. A very, very impressive. Very impressive numbers. Now, uh, granted, we launched it three months ago. There's a lot of things that need to happen, a lot of more of a larger population. We've already been seeing hundreds and hundreds of patients, but there is a lot more to come and a lot of more research and data analysis to be uh, done for it to be an how do you appropriate. Measure, how do you measure that? Primarily through subjective um, serving, like yeah. the psych psychiatry uh, industry, as yeah. I mentioned before, does. Things such as the PHQ-9 or the J87 or the SAT-10 as surveys that um, ask you about your well-being. But what I really want to hone in is how can this actually change your life? It's not a survey that says that you have less anxiety. It is you changing your life. Our patients are reducing their anxiety, yes, but they're moving out of the country. They're getting married. 
they're getting divorced. Some people are deciding that they're going to spend more time with their kids. Some people are starting to work out. There are some people that are starting to travel. There are some people learning a new language. There is actual physical and real change happening in people's lives through decision-making, conscious decision-making that has come from the treatment. And that is really why I believe that this personalized experience or personalized impact that we're having on people actually has a positive effect in mental health. So what you're saying is the person goes through the treatment, they have a better perspective on their life, they understand maybe that life is short or that maybe they should take more action or they should remove somebody toxic or, or do something that they would have never had the courage to do before, and then they take that action. Mm -hmm. because of that change so the the change perspective and the improvement is not for that hour and a half so once you go through this how does somebody because i guess that neuroplastic conversation before but how does somebody um for example go through this treatment protocol and then say hey i'm going to move to europe because or I've, or i'm going to have a kid with my partner or i'm going to break up with my partner because that person isn't good for me how how does that give them the courage to do that is it because of that, is that development where they... I'm gonna answer that based on how people have been answering themselves as patients. They feel like themselves again. I think that that's the best way to describe people it. People that felt lost, people that felt lost for a long period of their life now feel like themselves. Feel like themselves again. And I think that that alone gives you the courage, gives you the openness, gives you the ability to take action in a way that you maybe didn't see possible or maybe you didn't see um, the other side, but actually believe that you could make a change like that, uh, that to actually make you feel better. Um, so making yourself feel again. And I think, you know, when you look at the, the hardship of society, you look at what traditional medications cost. People can receive a benzodiazepine prescription for $30, $60 per month and uh, be able to access a form of medicine that might not be the best, but it's actually quite accessible for them. Psychedelic medicine and ketamine, it's in the thousands of dollars in most cases scenarios, even in telemedicine platforms. This is something I'm very proud of. But as a company in WonderMed, we've been able to break that barrier and allow people to be able to receive this medicine for $399 a month. Something that we hope to go much, much lower in the future. But there is a lot of hardship. Now we're going to talk about how a business like this gets built from a business standpoint, business model perspective, capital efficiency, and mm -hmm. at the same time, positive impact. But people now, um, and this is, I don't know when we're going to be airing this, but for August 15th, we're going back to $399. Uh, currently, it's, Acida Stance is $249, and people are having the opportunity of... I have to push it so quick. <laughs> <laughs> That's in like 10 days. It's in like 10 days, guys. We've been uh, open <laughs> for three fine. months. Uh, but for $399, people are going to have the opportunity to, to take a hard look at themselves, take an opportunity to feel like themselves again, and be able to see whether or not these type of this, when you say when you say that you have to be careful because that's a very attractive like so I want to understand if if you're talking to somebody and you're and you're and you're saying hey you should or you shouldn't do this because you're saying people that have anxiety and depression if you're saying I can see myself uh, the proper version of myself maybe I don't even know if I have anxiety or depression mm -hmm, absolutely and it's just an attractive thought to think for the first time I'll feel like who I should be. Yep. in the past 20 30 40 50 years right mm -hmm. um so what's the what's the immediate step that somebody should take to figure out if this is something that they should even look into first explore explore aspects of what mental health is 
We, a lot of people may not have that self-awareness. A lot of people may be absolutely depressed and have no idea. That's the clinical effort and really the clinical efficacy that comes from the clinical teams. Yeah. I myself, I'm not somebody that would go to somebody and say, hey, go and take ketamine treatment. I kind of put out there what, no, but what they do. They, do they talk to somebody first? Talk to somebody first. There is a diagnosis period. So the flow itself is the following. Somebody goes to uh, the website. Somebody sees something in which they feel called to go and explore. They go through a dia uh, eligibility survey to see whether or not they're eligible from a health standpoint, whether it's an age requirement, whether it's a health condition standpoint. Then they go through a diagnosis step where they provide an abundance of information around the, path, the past health history, any form of conditions that they have, any form of surgeries they've gone through. Then they go into the diagnosis um, a step of answering questionnaires about how they feel. That is all the information that a clinician then takes into account when you go into a one-on-one -on -one consultation with a clinician and actually go through a clinical setting in which you are being el deemed eligible or eligible for this off-label use of a medicine. So it's not for everybody. It's not everybody that feels interested in exploring a psychedelic experience comes to one. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to avoid. Well, no, no, absolutely <laughs> not. We are a company that, out of all companies, we are currently having, statistically speaking, the higher percentage um, of people that are not deemed eligible uh, to receive the medicine. But for those that are, they're having the opportunity to go through um, and explore this alternative form of medicine. And so it is all clinical driven. Um, we're actually in a very, as a company, very conscious of the different detrimental effects that this could have if, if abuse gets promoted or if there's a misuse of the medicine. And that's why we are not maximizing growth. We're not maximizing the speed of a company's uh, growth over the impact of patients. We've actually done very due diligent work and gone slow on purpose to be able to make this as best as we can for people. Amazing. Okay, so let's talk about the actual company. I want to I want to take a look at how you build a ketamine, a ketamine company. Um, because how did you how did you going into this even start to think about the commercial structure how to build it out, how to scale it. I mean, if you are Blue Ocean, then you don't have a lot of examples to look to, right? So you're going Fair in enough. day one, mm -hmm. and you're like, listen, I, I, I am entrepreneurial. I have a mind for business. I'm going in, but there's a million different ways to revenue. There's a million different uh, legal items that I have to you know, deal with. So what what is it day one going into this as, a, as the new CEO? Um, to, to that point, I think you've been calling me a CEO. I appreciate that a lot. Oh, um, co-founder as well. Co I'm a co-founder and managing director. Ryan is the co-founder and CEO of the company. Oh, okay. Still. Well, fantastic duo. That's yes. how, that's how we call each other. Um, and day one is a puzzle without the pieces. If you've ever built a puzzle, you start going to the boundaries, the edges of the puzzle, and you start kind of creating what the overarching structure is going to be of the building, of, of the, of the build. In this case, in the company, we started looking at all the different boundaries, from legal boundaries to um, business model boundaries of margins, what the legality in each single state was, because it's very different, what the federal guidelines were. And we started putting the pieces together. It actually took us two years to launch the company uh, that you see today and that people are able to benefit from. And a lot of those things were, to your point, a lot of thought-provoking exercises with experts in the legal field, mm -hmm. things that have been happening on the telemedicine space, things that had been happening in the off-label prescription space. We learned from past mistakes and most importantly from present mistakes. A lot of it was a proper build of a structure that uh, took a lot of resources and a lot of time and it wouldn't have been possible without the team that we were able to assemble, the experts that uh, came in and helped the company get to where it is today. 
And how did you you raise five point six in a seed? Right? Raised five point six million dollars in a seed round. How do you um, find investors for this? You know, there's a very common trait out of a lot of investors that have come into the company, and that is their own self-actualization, their own self-improvement through the medicine. Um, so a lot of people have come to this because they have been able to have the opportunity to experience it and experience the positive impact of it and realize that they want this to be something that more people can benefit from. Um, we're also getting a lot of investors interested in early stage industries or markets. I think psychedelic is a market more than an industry. And um, you know, with that risk, with that innovation comes the reward. And I think that some investors that are business savvy and they're interested in looking at, I mean, things from consumer branding perspective to actual technology. Um, the way we see it, as I mentioned before, ketamine or psychedelic substances are a technology that we need to maneuver, that we need to master, that we need to improve. And at the same time, it is a service because it is an experience and it is a product because it is a substance. And so all of these things put together are a very unique type of business model that when you add on top of that the fact that every single patient interaction is unique and different, you have really even a marketing exceptional opportunity to understand how to talk and provide people with the necessary knowledge for them to, to do it. Was, it. was it hard to raise the money? It was difficult, but I think that the support that we've been seeing from our investors has been... And once you, get them, once you get them on board, <laughs> once mean, you but, get them awarded, but how, did, how long did it take you to find the, the 5.6? Um, it took us some time. We've actually didn't do it in a, in a full block. Okay. We wanted to do it in a, in a kind of pragmatic way of understanding how the business went through a building stage and it started pivoting to a growth stage. And within the same round, investors have been coming in in different points. And um, positive impact. I think that what I started talking at the beginning of how tough it was to go to some investors, the psychedelic industry and market has been time after time bringing experts and investors into the space, understanding why we're doing this, for what reasons, and that made it pretty easy to to make people feel that they had the possibility of making a change. And they weren't, the, the investors, they didn't have concerns of regulatory uncertainty? Of course they did. I yeah. mean, the investors that we have in the company are some of the most brilliant people I've ever met in my life. And the conversations that we had, this is not a happy, happy uh, situation. This is not a super easy type of market. The building in itself from a structural standpoint is incredibly complicated. The contextual risk of legal and regulatory um, components is also very risky. But it is a matter of looking at it, understanding what the changes would look like, how we will adapt. And if you have a team that is able to adapt to any form of change, you will have a, su a successful company. And I think that investors, as I mentioned before, provided that type of, of insight just from conversation. Those that invested and those that did not invest. The conversations that I've had with investors in this company has been quite, quite unique. I'm, uh, yeah, and I'm, I, I always find it fascinating to see where money's flowing, especially into, into blue oceans, because, I mean, now I think, I think with psychedelics, ketamine, I think it's starting to become more popular and I've heard it mentioned a little bit, but I'm still curious about what, what VCs are putting their money into and, and what they concern themselves with because, it, you know, if it's not uh, like a hot item like, you know, AI, robotics, machine learning, even like crypto or NFTs for oh. a while, um, I feel like there's a lot of, it's a lot of pushback from VCs unless maybe it does fit their investment thesis. 
Did you find funds, by the way, or did you find angels? Yeah, or? both. Uh, both? We're, com we're built from angel investors and some funds that have come into the space early, trying to see what the outlook is going to look like in the long term. And you looked for investors, like, I'm just, so I'm trying to pull out lessons from mm -hmm. your experience to maybe somebody else trying to build in a, in a super niche blue ocean category. Um, did you look for investors that had any previous investment in psychedelic companies or were they, how did you find the people that you thought would be the right approach or did you just approach like a thousand people and then you eventually, I mean, it was a little bit of everything. Okay. Um, but I think that the, the goal that Ryan and I had in, in conglomerating this capital was to build a Koretsu of minds. Koretsu being the concept originating in Japan of conglomerating different factors of an ecosystem mm -hmm. to achieve maximum efficiency. Um, whether it is regulatory one, the governmental one, and the private sector getting together to achieve the highest um, profitability. Um, and in our case, the Koretsu of Mines had to deal with different areas. Uh, a lot of it was consumer-driven. A lot of it was past uh, experience-driven. It was investment, uh, private equity-driven. It was positive impact-driven. Um, and so... This, really, is the, this is who your board is now. This like, is who my board is now, yeah. who, the, who the cap table uh, really is. It's a conglomeration of people in different areas that see this as an opportunity for the long term that is here to stay um, as a blue ocean. And as co-founders between yourself and Ryan, what are the attributes you bring to the company? How do you balance each other out and how do you sort of support and benefit each other? Uh, we're very similar and at the same time different. Um, Ryan is a visionary. He's somebody that brings ideas to the table day in, day out, night in, night out. And I think that's something incredibly powerful. It's fuel for a company that needs to adapt a lot. Um, and at the same time, I find myself being in the position to add direction to the changes that happen in the company. And so both of us really have been able to um, divide and conquer what building a company like this is. Um, it's not just us two. I think we have a fantastic team in the leadership um, that has been able to put forward their own experiences from patient experience to marketing to business operations. Um, and together we've been able to to accomplish something quite special, what I consider family at this point. And what's the team that you would build out for something like this? Because you obviously can't look for 10, 10, 10 years ketamine experience. <laughs> right, no, no, not at all, not at all. So you, you look for psychiatry, you look for the actual clinical side of the industry first. Those are the individuals that bring the notion of knowledge of mental health. Then you have the business components of being incredibly innovative from a business model standpoint. I mentioned that people can take our medicine for $399 a month. It's a subscription model. Uh, it's month to month and you go with okay. the prescription. Um, whether other companies are doing it at $1,200. And investors ask how? By only taking a deep look at how to build a system like this and look at the granular efficiencies that you can achieve. Um, same concepts that we were talking about of crypto systems. It is the idea of looking at every single thing that you could adapt and do from a novel way. What I call pushing the boundaries of our imagination in every single decision making that needs to happen in an industry like this. And to any entrepreneur, I would really, really suggest this be something that you have in the back of your head. Push the boundaries of your imagination. There's always a different way of doing things. In most cases, that different way might not happen. It might, be not, it might not be the right thing for the moment, but if you have that thought exercise on a constant basis, you will find unique ways of adapting, unique ways of finding different um, avenues to build a business. I just wanna take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. Now, running your own business means uncertainty is everywhere. So wouldn't it be nice to have a CRM platform that just works? A CRM platform that helps you provide a seamless, connected, best-in-class customer experience. 
For too long, businesses have had to deal with managing point solutions that slow down their teams, frustrate customers, and hit them with hidden fees. HubSpot's all-in-one CRM platform has everything you need to do business, no hidden fees included. With a connected platform that's easy to implement and use, your teams have all the tools and data they need to spend more time on what matters most, creating remarkable customer experiences. Learn how HubSpot can help your business grow better at HubSpot.com. And, and how, how, well, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll go into it and I'll ask you, you can, you can either talk about it or if it's like trade secret, proprietary, you don't want to talk about it. But oh, I, mean, oh, when, oh. When, <laughs> I mean, like when somebody says that, okay, so if their product in the market sets a product price point out a thousand or $2,000 per month per customer, and you have a way to bring it down and like whittle it down to like three ninety nine, and currently... It's two forty and going to three ninety nine. What are the efficiencies? I mean, the product costs so much. You or or is it because it's a new market and the price point hasn't really been set yet? I mean, I think that's a very big component of it. It's yeah. a very new market. This aspect of supply and demand doesn't even exist right now. We're making it happen. Uh, we're shifting the ability of demand to be able to access this in a very unique way for the first time, uh, and price is one of those. Um, for me, it's been an incredible opportunity as an entrepreneur to go into a market where even things like price have not been settled yet. Um, but you made a conscious choice. We made a conscious down. choice. Um, we're here for people. And I think that's top to bottom, bottom to the top. We're here for people in the way that our protocol works. We're here for the people in, way, in the way that our business model works. I said it before, the only reason why I'm working on this company is for the positive impact that we're making. Alone, that's the only reason why Ryan wants to build a company that he wants to build long-term, to make long-lasting change in the world. And I think that it starts by providing people with power, by empowering people. And so in our case, a lot of it was taking a hard look about the margins that we could be gathering today with the demand that already exists at much higher prices and understanding that that's not the type of business that we want to build. Um, it definitely makes it harder. You have less margin on a constant basis, on a variable basis, and it's still a fantastic business model. So. You know, a lot of the times you just have to ask the industry to take a hard look at itself and see whether or not um, what they're doing is what they should be doing. But I think people have the opportunity to choose. And you even look at like Mark Cuban's new company, right? Um, so everybody's trying to be more ethical about delivering drugs to people that need them. Yes. So I do believe that that's the way of the future. I think that the outdated, oh, everything. you could make an argument that if it's not a, a product that improves somebody's life, like if you're selling like a casual leisure service, whatever, maybe charge whatever the hell you want. But yeah. if it's something that's going to improve somebody's quality of life, like you have a certain responsibility. I think it's, I think it's We all have that responsibility. I think that that's the ultimate kind of idea that we need to leave here with the psychedelic industry and why it's so powerful and why very interesting individuals are going into it is that we as a society have the responsibility to change the way we're behaving with ourselves, with others, and the way in which we're cooperating. There is things that I'm fascinated by, like the concept of countries, territorial divides. The United States alone, 50 states, incredibly large size. I just came from Los Angeles. If I were to be in Europe, I would have passed six different countries, mm -hmm. five different languages, <laughs> different legislations. And yet we work to be a cooperative system. At least that's how the United States is perceived. The European Union is perceived. As the world, as human beings, there is not one single difference worth enough from anybody 
around the world compared to myself or anybody around the world compared to anybody in this country for us to not cooperate to become as efficient as we are. I was having a fantastic conversation yesterday with two people, a very good friend of mine and somebody random in the street that I met. And both conversations led to the same point. The success of a civilization, it is determined by the amount of different species that thrive within the same ecosystem. And that idea can get extrapolated to anything. And in our case, as people, we need to understand... Well, then we're failing. We're failing miserably right now. Miserably. Yes. The fact that there's 200 to 2,000 species getting extinct on a yearly basis, it's outrageous. There is what we would call aliens, if they were in different planets, disappearing. If you look at a whale, and I know we're pivoting away, but if you look at a whale in person and really look at it, the fact that that communicates with other species like them has a consciousness, or at least we want to believe that they do, and lives in the same present moment that I as a person lives, just really makes you think twice about the true meaning of life. And we're missing miserably because there's big problems right now on human movement, the acceptance of people coming from a different place, the aspect and concepts from race to ethnicity, the idea that we're 99.9999999% similar, and there's a very small difference, that it is a visual difference, but going back to the aspect of vision, if we're only able to see 0.0035% of the wavelength spectrum, why would we take our visual differences as the main reason of change? It's an incredibly limited way of thinking. And I think that psychedelic medicine or the industry and positive impact entrepreneurs really are shifting that. Uh, way of behaving. Where do you think the industry is going to go? Because now we have ketamine that's that's uh, it's going to be set up and going to help people with their mental health, depression, anxiety. Um, do you think that all the other use cases for L for LSD, for ayahuasca, for psilocybin, do you think that those will eventually become legalized to some extent, more mainstream? Absolutely, to some extent. Um, I think it's going to be an aspect of Koretsu. Because even like LSD, there used to be research studies that were going on about the benefits of LSD, and then those were almost killed. I don't know the whole story, but I know those were killed almost overnight. All those research studies from reputable <sighs> universities, and it was like, nope, tomorrow you're not touching this anymore. Right. With, with great power comes great responsibility. I think everybody can familiarize themselves with that sentence. I think as the private sector and the public sector need to sit together and understand how to best move forward this for society. We need the FDA. You need, but you also need, need wins. You need wins with ketamine to prove out that something that that has just sort of come into popularity now and is being used successfully is safe, is effective. So you need good people. You need ethical people. Like ethical capitalism, I think, is incredible. Mm -hmm. But good people to start businesses in to in, prove a model. To prouve a model, not people that price gouge, not people that grow at all costs, especially in pharmaceuticals and drugs and even natural uh, remedies, like yep. you can't have those types of people in there. So you have to get rid of the people that are bad actors. You have to get rid of the people that are trying to profit off of off of, off of things like this. Yep. And then when you have successful models, ethical owners, entrepreneurs, founders that build businesses that are doing good for people, that's the people that can lead the conversations. Yes, and most people in the psychedelic industry that I've met follow all of those yeah. factors. And then um, I mean, I, I didn't think I would have said this after studying socioeconomic development, but the government plays a crucial role in all of this to happen. And I think um, 
there is an incredible amount of intelligent people working for the government and agencies that follow data as the primary factor of decision making. And I think it's a matter of us sitting together and uh, receiving the proper guidelines for us to be able to make this an accessible, available, safe and effective form of alternative medicine for people. So it would be a matter of time. Research is absolutely imperative yeah. because it takes an outlook from science instead of uh, capital generation. Um, and I think that you're starting to see it already. I think the issue is that also that to, to get something moving and to get something passed in government takes such a long period of time, mm -hmm. which is the reason why when there's a when there's a when there's something that's been decided like 50, 60 years later, it's just been decided. We're not ever touching that again. So you need like you need almost an overwhelming amount of positive evidence to get a conversation started. It's important to not take a step back. Correct. Yeah. This is a very important message to your point that the government need is aware of, and I think it's just starting to make a change into. The pandemic, for example, on telemedicine law, um, provided a, a huge opportunity for people to receive medicine in a much more accessible and affordable pricing because business models became much more efficient in the industry. I think it is the, the responsibility of all actors in the industry to realize that taking a step back could hurt a lot, and it has been hurting us a lot. If you look at the growth of human evolution or change in decision-making, you see a linear fashion. When you look at changes in technology, changes in innovation, human population growth, all of those are exponential graphs. So how to equate very different forms of rapid growth into a coexistent balance and let's call it uh, equilibrium yeah. of an industry is a very difficult one. And it will only happen if all factors of the industry align together. And at least what I am seeing is that type of cooperation from the government, from investors, from researchers, from consumers, from patients, to really want to make this be a long-term positive impact industry. So that's your point. I know you wrote down some talking points, and you wrote down one that I thought was interesting, but I guess that's really what you were discussing. It was the human evolution versus technological revolution. Mm -hmm. That's Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, it's one of the, absolutely. It's one of the concepts um, that I like to, to, to entertain in conversation. It is the fact that... Um, Technology revolution directly has a correlation or could have a potential causality in human evolution. And for the longest time, we understand that even our political systems are very, very static almost. There's lack of dynamism or adaptability in the systems and decision making, which granted provides a stability, but also provides lack of um, evolvement. You, th you see it with things like cryptocurrencies. How yeah. fast did that get adapted in society? And how hard... And regulation is still is still trying to keep up and still not it, unclear. It can't keep up given how fast it's evolving. And so it is a responsibility of government understanding that the private world has a very powerful um, potential to make positive change. And us understanding that the government has a critical component in making this happen. It's a pure collaboration and cooperation play. Um, after you build this company, where do you want to, what do you want to do next? Because you, you sort of, you've now found something that can be, that can be profitable, mm -hmm. um, and still checks the box of positive human impact. So where do you see WonderMed going? And then in your personal career, like what is the thing that you want to do at a larger scale? Is it like now that you sort of clarified how to be successful and drive profit and and be entrepreneurial and build something 
while still achieving that positive human impact. I mean, those are very kind words. Um, I mean, there's a, there's we're hoping for the best. <laughs> <laughs> um, th there's a lot. There's a lot to learn. I think that I want to keep on learning. Um, by any means, I consider myself um, an expert in everything. I, there's so much that I don't know, and I will always have more to know than what I do know now. As a company, WonderMed wants to become the best version of ourselves to allow people to become the best version of themselves in every facet of, of life. We're focused on mental health because we believe that's a very um, important issue to tackle. But as a whole, in the company and the people leading it, uh, positive impact comes in very shapes and forms, very different ones. Um, and I think um, WonderMed is going to come up with very special things in the near future for people to be able to continue improving. On a personal level, I think that I want to continue to strive to unify people, to change socio-political, socio-economical ways of behaving in society. I want to unite the power of people to continue spreading the word that the 99% is more powerful than the 1%, that there is value in numbers, that 1 plus 1 equals 3 if you do the right thing. Um, and I really don't know how I'm going to conceptualize that, but for now, my focus is being able to change people's lives through WonderMed. Why... Why did you write this down? I thought this was really interesting. The meaning of life and how to find purpose in living. What does that mean to you? Throw in a curveball. Bring no, up I the meaning it. of life at the end. <laughs> um, I think when you get to explore ideas and concepts that don't have a concrete answer, you sometimes can feel overwhelmed. You sometimes can feel most of us would lost, like say most that of us yes, one hundred percent. I think there's not an answer that we know for everything, and there probably will never be for a lot of things. But if you take a hard look at history, us as a society and humanity, we're moving in a beautiful direction. Besides all the negative things that are happening, so when I mean what the meaning of life is, what the purpose is, people need a purpose to live. At least that's what it seems like. And a lot of people don't find themselves to fit into what's currently happening, the current models, the current way of living. So as a topic of what the meaning of life is, what the purpose is, I think it's a conversation that needs to be more present in conversations with people, in conversations in the government, in conversations in any form of business that you're building with your team. Why are we here? There's different ways of saying it. The other day, the other day I heard a comedian saying that the meaning of life is... Um, to enjoy the pass of time. Um, for another person like myself is to make a positive impact in the world, to make the f the, my present moment and the future be better than the past. And a lot of people share this feeling. I think that the vast majority of people in the world, the vast majority are good people. Sometimes the bad people or the bad actions are much louder, but the vast majority are good people. There's a lot of hope in the world that things can go in the right direction. And the meaning of life should be one in which people have an understanding that they belong, because they do belong to something. They belong to what I belong, uh, which is this world, this humanity. And working in mental health, a lot of people suffering from depression and anxiety sometimes lack this type of understanding. And it's a very important to have. I speak to others that feel the same way, that are going through the same, um, because you're not alone. This is something that can actually have a positive change in humanity at large. And what is there to life that enjoy living and making others enjoy living? I love it.
Um, okay, I want to I want to ask a couple rapid fire to close this out. Let's do it. Uh, before I ask that though, um, is there anything else that we didn't go into that I should have asked you? I think for the purpose of what we're currently doing at WonderMed, I think it's important for people to to get reminded that today there is an opportunity for them to seek an alternative form of medicine that was not accessible, that they have an opportunity to explore. I would highly recommend them going to wondermed.com and learning more about uh, the science of it, the information we provide, and go through the flow to understand whether or not they're a fit and if they are to have a meaningful experience. I would love for them to provide feedback, which is what has been happening with most of our patients. They're very open to explain what has been happening. And that currently the, the flow, we've made it as as safe, as efficient, and as effective as possible, and that we want to improve from it so that we want people right now to go for it, see the opportunity, and then learn from them. And that we're here for them. We're literally building this to help people. Um, so that's the only thing that I would like to clarify um, before we go into this rapid fire. Um, where where should people go? So wondermed.com, uh, if they want to contact you, social, wh where do you want to send people? Yeah, myself or anybody in the team, I think we're very receptive to people reaching out. You could go to LinkedIn to any of the leaders in the company. Uh, myself, Jose Munoz, um, I'm very act I mean, I'm active in LinkedIn more than anything. Um, go to the website, explore okay. all the information that you have there, reach out. We have a fantastic team of patient experience and support that can answer any questions that they have. Um, and then be able to go through an experience where you could adapt your life one time every week, four times a month, and really allow yourself to see whether or not this is something that can impact your life. And give yourself permission to improve your life. I think that's a Give a huge permission to yourself. Empower yeah. yourself. Um, okay, a couple rapid fire. So what keeps you up at night now? It could be personal, it could be professional. What's, what's top of mind that stresses you out? How to build the best team possible and culture to build a company that can change the world forever. And how do you do that? With a lot of hard work, with trust, with transparency, with openness, with vulnerability, um, and with love. What's the biggest challenge you've overcome in your own personal life? I'm still trying to overcome it, which is how to navigate life as somebody that loves to work in the fullest sense with as many things as possible from having time to take care of those that you love, to um, enjoy the little things in life. I think I do a pretty good effort in making that happen. But the biggest challenge that I've faced in my life is overcome hardship, which a lot of people are going through now. I come from a very humble beginning, and yet I have always felt that I'm incredible, incredibly, I should be incredibly grateful for the opportunities that I've had and where I was born with respect to everybody in the world. But I think, you know, Overcoming hardship makes you who you are. So if anybody's going through the same, to push forward because that's actually going to make you become who you truly want to be. Um, if you had to pick one person, there's obviously been many, but pick one person who's had an incredible impact on your life, mentor, anyone. Um, who was it? What did they teach you? I mean, this is going to sound redundant, but I wish that everybody could say the same thing. My mother... I think somebody that can allow you to very deeply understand the power that you have to be happy with yourself and therefore be able to make others happy, to enjoy the little things in life um, in a very unique and creative way. Um, so yeah, that's the person that I would say right now. If you had to recommend um, um, some resource, book, podcast, Reddit threads, <laughs> something that 
you'd recommend people go check out, what would it be? I think a book right now that I'm very interested and intrigued by is a book called Justice. Never heard um, of that one. What is we it? Doing the Right Thing, I believe. Um, it's a book by a um, professor at Harvard. He actually has the biggest classroom right now. It's an elective class, um, which he teaches through the book. In a very open-like situation, asks very large questions around what is the right thing to do. What are the different ways in which we could look at decision-making in life from social to political to economical in understanding how to do the right thing, which is a very difficult question to answer. Everybody thinks that they have an opinion that it's right. He brings together multiple different extreme polar opposites concepts together in conversation and makes you think that there's a lot of nuance in life that we need to try to understand as, fast, as much as possible um, at all times. So I would highly recommend that book right now, Justice. No, it's good. Um, uh, if you could tell your 20-year-old self one thing, what would it be? My what, sorry? 20-year-old self. Your 20-year-old self. You could tell your 20-year-old self one thing. Or 18 or Keep 16. Going. <laughs> Keep going. Good. And then last question. What does success mean to you? To make the world a better place. It's good. To feel good while doing it and make others feel good. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. Each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching 
my needs. I tried LinkedIn jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours? That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. 
Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. 